Rodney Stark wrote a book called The Rise of Christianity. If you've never read about the history of the rise of Christianity, it is a good book to read because he charts the whole growth of the church down through the centuries and what happened. But he writes in this book, one of the great myths in evangelical churches is that the revivals change everything. He said, Christians, wherever you go, they are praying, whichever nation, they pray, oh God, send revival, thinking if revival comes, nations change. And he says it doesn't. It doesn't work like that. When there is a revival, obviously the word revival, reviving, is talking about the church. The church becomes alive. He says the greatest changes in, in society, in nations, occurs when the church of Jesus Christ understands her purposes and pervades every warp and woof of society in its involvement. So you think of the great revival in this nation, you think about Methodism in Whitfield and Wesley's and how they preached and how hundreds and thousands would gather Did you know the greatest impact of Methodism wasn't in their generation, it was in the subsequent generations. When people got involved with education, when people got involved with health and with the poor and with the slave trade, and they started to invade the whole of our society and bring around even things like manners. Have you ever wondered where manners come from? Holding a door open for a woman? I held a door open for a woman a few years back. And she walked past me and she goes, I'm not an effing invalid. I slammed it in her face and said, you are now. Now that was, I didn't. I want to challenge young people here. It's time to get out of a ghetto and into the world. The church in in our country, the church in our country is irrelevant. And you young people, you come Sunday by Sunday looking very smart, by the way. Very trendy. Any Jack Wills shirts there? My son would be interested. You've got a Jack Wills shop in Winchester, apparently. Very trendy, very fashionable. That's all good and well. But actually, the truth is... You're not called to be irrelevant. You're called to be relevant to your age group and your peer group and transform your peer group. And I want to suggest to you that we have, as a church, as churches in the West, grown sentimental when we've thought about the family. We are, at the moment, working our way through in Bournemouth, the book of Romans which is uh, giving us a great deal of fun and a great deal of challenge in terms of study. We've also got John Hosier now part of our church, which means everyone's doing a bit more work when they come to Bible study. And uh, one, of the, uh, one of the great challenges looking at Romans chapter 1 and chapter 2 is to realise that the whole of our world God gives over When we turn our back on God, God gives over our world to a depraved mind. And just opening that all up and realising what that is saying is that we, as human beings, don't know north from south. We don't know right from wrong. We don't know up from down. The whole of the societies that we produce have no sense of God. When we exclude God, we just make a mess of the world. And you look at, the, look at the news headlines today and you read the news headlines and it doesn't matter what the issue is, it's, it seems everybody is calling it differently. There is no truth, no absolute truth. 
Everything's relevant, relative. And I'll tell you this, the church itself doesn't know up from down, right from wrong. It affects us. And when we talk about the family, we don't actually know often what we're talking about when we say we want to build the family. We want to build a Christian family. We want to build a nuclear family. We want to build a traditional family. We want to build a biblical family. Have you ever heard someone say, I'm building a biblical family? What's a biblical family? What is a biblical family? Which family are you looking at? Abraham and Sarah? Solomon? Nips down into town and brings back a few concubines and wives? Who are we actually looking at when we talk about family? Because actually when you look at when God created Adam and then he brings Eve alongside and, and brings them together and one flesh and brings them into marriage, wonderful, but we're not told then how family develops. It seems sin comes in very quickly after that wonderful event. And I want to say this. Jesus, Jesus shows us what the family should be like. Jesus is the answer. Jesus inaugurates a kingdom. He starts by saying these words, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God has come. Repent and believe the good news. Mark 1 verse 15. Jesus brings about a new world order. It's not a private affair. He doesn't bring about privatised Christianity or a privatised family. Jesus brings about good news. And he commissions disciples to go into all the world and to lay hands on the sick that they will get well. To open the eyes of the blind and to preach the gospel of the kingdom. There is a king in heaven. And the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And his rule and reign will know no end. And he commissions his agents, his people, the church, to invade society, to invade the world, and to bring about his change. You see, I believe the church has too easily believed in the nuclear family. When you talk on families at churches, people sometimes ask leaders, can you come and speak on the family? And it's like, can you give top ten top tips of how to be a good dad or to be a mother, father, <coughs> husband or wife? The truth of the matter is, can you remember what happened when Jesus' mum and uh, brothers and sisters arrived outside? Do you know what Jesus says? Who's, who's my mother? Who are my family? You are my family. You're those who hear the word of God and do it. Do you know what an offence that caused? We've lost the offence of that. If you say that to somebody from a culture like Japan, they cannot and will not believe because they so honour the local nuclear family. You can't dishonour the family and say Jesus and his people are more important than that family. And yet Jesus, these words would have smacked across the people listening there saying, you're disrespectful, Jesus. How can you say, mum and dad, how can you say what you are bringing about this new family on earth is more important than our traditional family? I'll tell you, the church needs to hear this because I believe we've retreated into our four walls. We've lost the importance of church. We just go to church. Sundays we're going to church. Oh, how boring. Church again on Sunday. Church isn't a Sunday activity. 
Church is a seven-day-a-week, 24-hour-a-day, living, wonderful, breathing body of Christ which has the power to transform our world. And every one of you need to be caught up in that life-giving exchange from the head into the body. So restoring and redeeming society does not begin with any individual, does not begin with the family, it begins with the church, the family of God. And so I'd like us to pick up our Bibles and I'd like us to read how God sees us. I think it was, uh, it was Dave when he was uh, praying, prophesying earlier, talking about the sort of the magnetic pull of heaven and our hearts being constrained by love. I believe that is so relevant to everybody in this room this morning. To get an understanding of how heaven views us, not just individually and feeling the magnetism of heaven pulling us, but actually how God views the church. So, so you are not switching off. Good to see Bibles out. Get your Bibles out. I'm reading from NIV. We're going to read this together, so definitely get your Bibles out. Maybe someone can put up a words behind me. NIV, I'm reading from 1 Peter 2. And verse 9, we're going to read this and we're going to read it to me and to one another. You can turn and face one another. A lot of scriptures meant to be read and encouraging one another. This is true about you, okay? Because it's in the Word of God. Are you ready to read it? Here we go. Verse 9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. A people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You see... If we are to transform our world, our nation, we need to understand the basic nature of the church. Transformation begins with the people of God, the local church. Every local church, an expression of Jesus Christ in the world. And we need to understand that this isn't Peter blue-skying, wishful thinking, I hope the church somehow gets to this place. This is what the Word of God says is true. The fundamental purpose of the church is not to serve itself. It isn't even to serve others. Fundamentally, we are shown here, we are God's possession. We are not our own. We don't own our own lives. We have no say in how our life will work out. We are God's. The church exists for one purpose, for God. That's what we are here and left on earth for. Have you ever wondered why you were left on earth? Born again, hallelujah. Why don't we just go straight to glory? Because God has a purpose for his church. He wants to redeem and restore his church. Redeem society. The language here is obviously very Old Testament. It feels a little bit Old Covenant. It does so for a purpose because Peter is catching up the Gentiles in the Jewish world. The Jews understood they were nobodies. They had no great rank or title or possessions or material benefits. 
And yet God chose them. They knew as they walked through the desert. They knew as they walked wherever they went. They knew they were the people of God. Don't mess with us. We're the people of God. And no one did mess with them. You did not pick a fight with the Israelites. These were the people of God. Even their enemies said, God fights for them. Well, this is the language Peter uses because he's catching up a Jewish audience with a Gentile world and saying, actually, the church, the church of Jesus Christ, they are the chosen ones. They are the royal priesthood. They are the holy nation that belongs to God. Nothing can withstand the people of God. Christ's righteousness has been credited to us. We know now we have a Father in heaven who we can pray and have been taught to pray, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done as perfectly on earth as it is on heaven. And this community, the local church, has one purpose to glorify God in the world. Once you were not a people... Now you are the people of God. And you have been called out of darkness into his wonderful light. Why? That we may declare his praises. To those in darkness, to those in our nation living in such horrendous upheaval at the moment, we are the ones who have got the light of the world within us. We are the light of the world, a city set on a hill. So the power to transform begins within the four walls of the local church every time we gather. These are moments for us to be transformed. You ever wonder why you need to come to church, young people, on a Sunday morning? Because these are God moments. God promises there on the the day when two or three gather, God promises to be in the midst of his people with power to transform lives. Now here's my problem. I have a huge problem with the local church. Here's my problem. My problem with the local church is this. Why, when it comes to family, are we no different from the world outside? Because if you look at statistics, you will find that the divorce rate within the church is identical to the divorce rate in the world. If you look at the rate of child abuse, and this was just something I read recently, it is suggested, and I think the press are calling the church in its widest context, it is suggested that child abuse is as common within the church as it is outside of the church. One of my leaders did a... Uh, a talk on pornography recently, and in that, again, the statistics were something like a half of men within the, the church would be caught up in an addiction to pornography. And you read these statistics and you weep. You weep because we're meant to be a royal priesthood. We're meant to be a holy nation. We're the people of God. And yet we're caught, we're ensnared, we're caught up in a lie and stopped from being the people of God. Why? Why is this happening? Let me suggest to you why. Turn with me to Romans chapter 12. I want to suggest to you, it's all about a battle for your minds. It's a battle for the supremacy of the word of God over the Christian mind that is at stake here. 
Biblical illiteracy in the church is growing. Growing and growing and growing. People want easy answers. They want snapshots. They want easy reads. When you read Romans chapter 12, I urge you, verse 1, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. God has a good and pleasing and perfect will for your life. It is in the local church. How do you know what God's will for your life is? You don't need a prophetic word from a visiting prophet. You need to be in the local church. That's God's will for your life. And in the local church, the local church's priority is to welcome the Holy Spirit and to devote themselves to the reading and the preaching of God's word. And allowing that word to transform our minds. To allow it to shape us. You see, I believe that so many Christians hear the gospel, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Hallelujah. Believe. I believe. And have lost the fact that actually we were called to make disciples. We were called to lose our life when we become a Christian. We weren't called to get an easy train ticket to glory. We were called to lose our lives, to die to sin in order that we can live for righteousness. And there's an easy believism. We try and call it grace. We trash the wonder of glorious grace by making easy believism something which dominates the church. And yet Paul here in Romans says, for the church to live for the glory of God, we need to understand we need to have our minds reshaped, remolded, rebent, according to God's word, not according to the pattern of of this world. I don't know how many of you have got um, these modern phones. The trouble with modern phones, they've got so many apps on them. Do you know you can get an app to change the language on your phone? Did you know that? I was fiddling around the other day and thinking, no, I, I can change my phone to Arabic. That sounds good. Don't ever do that. Once it gets in Arabic, everything's in Arabic. So you then think, how do I change back to English? I can't do it. You're stuck. I don't know anybody who speaks Arabic either. So I can't even go next door and say, do you speak Arabic? Well, I speak Arabic. I have to take it back to the phone centre and say, you never guess what my son did with my phone. <laughs> I tell you, these kids... Speaking biblically does not come naturally. There isn't an app. Press it. I'll become a Christian. Huh. Hallelujah for the Lord our God, the Almighty. Oh, let us rejoice. And be. He doesn't suddenly switch to biblical language because you've become a Christian. The only way that you can speak biblically and think biblically is by reading the Word of God and asking the Holy Spirit to illuminate and memorize the Word of God and start to put it into practice. Can I say to every person 
You are not a piece of driftwood in this world. You're not just floating. You're coming into church on a Sunday, and I tell you this, most of you, because I'm like this, fall into this category. You're like a piece of driftwood on a Sunday morning. You're bobbing in. Hey, how are you doing? We're fine. Everything's going fine. Yeah, fine. Oh, I'm a little bit of an idiot at the moment, a bit depressed. But then oh, I'm off again. I'm 50 years old now. I'm still going down the stream of life. I tell you, we wander into church like that. No one comes prepared to meet with God. No one comes with the Word of God. No one comes with a prophecy. No one comes to pray out loud and thank Jesus for salvation. We think we want church to be easy church. Church isn't easy. Take a look around you. It's full of oddballs. You come and you say to Steve, to Neil, to John Groves, give me an easy answer for my marriage. I'm married to a right ogre. Wave a magic wand over me, Pastor. Tell me in ten minutes how to deal with that husband of mine. He is such a bore. My child spends all its time watching TV. What can I do? My wife runs up huge shopping bills in Jack Wills every Sunday, Saturday. Give me some practical help as how I can rescue us. Jesus is Lord, but cash is king when it comes to the church. Now here's where it gets interesting, this message. Because this is where it gets challenging, this is where you hate me, this is where I believe the word of God cuts. The underlying issue with the word of God in our country is that we are conformed to a way of thinking that is capitalist and consumerist. We approach the word of God little realising that our mind has been beaten and beaten like a piece of metal on the, on the anvil of life and shaped, shaped in such conformity that every biblical challenge we hear, we come back to it with an answer which we think is a good sounding answer but is the pattern of the age in which we're living. So even saying, hey folks, the church is the answer. The church are the people of God. The church is the salt of the earth. The church is a light set on a hill. Most of you are hearing that and say, I've heard that before. Take a look around you. We're a pretty sorry lot here. I tell you, because we believe the spirit and the capitalist spirit of the age, we believe in things like this. This is challenging. We need to own our own houses. We don't. We don't. This is a modern phenomenon. Renting is great. We need to have a detached house. Do you know when the Jamie Oliver's dream school, do you know what was so depressing? They asked all those young people, what do you want to be when you grow up? Do you know what they all said? A millionaire. Or, for the young people here, I want to be a billionaire, so flipping mad. We need iPhones. We need all these extra gizmos in our life 
So the father has to work every hour, the mother has to do all that she has to do. Mothers now have to multitask, they have to be a sex siren, a baby machine, a provider, a best friend. The church has to be a theatre with a show, with bands. The preachers have to be entertaining, they have to be juggling. And the, every member comes in with their little shopping trolley, like into Sainsbury's or Tesco's. I want a bit of that. They'll have a good youth work. Oh, breaking of bread, that needs to be important to me. We come in as consumers, and here's the rub. If the church doesn't provide, we'll go elsewhere. In Bournemouth, people change churches like, you know, I change shirts. You just get a little bit offended. A little bit offended, and they go. You're meant to be offended. The Christian life is offensive. Preaching is meant to be offensive. Because it's meant to say, actually we're not living quite the way we're meant to live and I need to change for the glory of God. If you're not walking out of church on Sunday feeling, oh I feel challenged, oh I feel convicted. There's something not right. You are meant to be transformed. I've just got Joseph, my youngest boy, into... Entomology, which was a passion of mine as a young man. And it's just fascinating. The transformation between a caterpillar and a butterfly. You know, I, 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 that question's never answered, by the way, by David Attenborough. You know, the animals are just improving, they're just, you know, just getting stronger, they get an eye, one eye, then they get two eyes, and, and, and evolution happens. Under that process, a caterpillar bangs two toffee sticks on its back and jumps out of a a tree and flies. But he doesn't. It goes, it dies, it goes into a chrysalis. And out of this chrysalis comes something which doesn't look anything like a caterpillar. It comes and it's absolutely beautiful. It can fly, it can do things. Amazing, amazing miracle of God. That is the same word Romans is talking about, about being transformed metamorphosized. We're not meant to have a slightly better life. We're not to stick a little bit of Christianity on us like two toffee sticks and float into church on a Sunday morning. We are meant to be transformed by the renewal of our mind in the power of the Spirit. So we leave these buildings and we fly as something absolutely beautiful. We pollinate the world around us for the glory of God. Where would we be without the insects? So, here's your homework. It's enough challenge. Here's some fun homework for you to do in terms of, are you thinking in the pattern of this world or are you thinking in God's Are you going to be camouflaged and blend in with the world or will you today say, actually, I'm going to stand out for God and be transformed? Turn with me to, we'll just do a few of these just for a bit of a giggle. It's just amazing how all of us will be shaped with our arguments. Turn to Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. Spirit of the age says we're nothing but refined monkeys. No, we are made... In the image of God. We are not meant to act like brute animals. 
We are made in the image of God. Fallen though that may be, we are in the image of God. And men and women, male and female, God created them. And God would say, as I would say, vivre la différence. Let's keep the wonderful joy of men and women being completely different, wonderfully different. I married to my wife for nearly 30 years. I don't understand women at all. And it's glorious. Frustrating, but glorious. God says this. So so just in terms of the spirit of the age, the spirit of the age is trying to blend the two, aren't they? All around us. Men are losing their masculinity. Women are becoming butch. Or sex objects. Let's show the world what it's like to be a man or a woman of God. Please. But God goes on to say, God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Adam didn't say, is it alright if I have one child? That would have been the end of the human race. What did Adam understand and Eve understand by being fruitful and increase in numbers? It wasn't dinkies, it wasn't dual income, no kids. It wasn't wait until we've paid our mortgage off or we've holidayed in America. It wasn't one child, it's going to be too expensive. Two children, well where are you going to sit the third? Restaurants, cars, they're not designed for big families. It wasn't those considerations that were in Adam's heart or should be in our hearts. There is no right or wrong number, even if you do talk to Andy Foster. There is no right or wrong answer. One child, if you can have a child, is a wonderful grace gift. Two is wonderful. Three, we've had four. I'll tell you, it's just brilliant. But I want to say this, because there'll be single parents here, there'll be others who are... How many parents does it take to raise a child? It takes, as Africans say, it takes the whole village. Do you know how many parents it takes to raise your kids? It takes the whole church. I can't thank God enough that people have been in and out of my home. John Groves will be having lunch with me today. My two boys will be interacting with him. They love John. My children have been shaped by men and women of God. Much, much more than I could have ever done. They've come into our home from other nations. It's so important. Parents, hear this. So important, your children are in the church. Being shaped. So important, you live in each other's lives. Okay, turn with me to the New Testament. A couple more of these, and then we'll close. 1 Corinthians, chapter 7, verse 3. The husband should fulfil his marital duty, that's having sex, to his wife. And likewise the wife to her husband. The wife's body does not belong to her alone, but also to her husband. Husbands in the house are saying, come on guy, preach on it. The pattern of this world says if you're married, you have sex three times a week. That's the average. Once you've married a little bit or have children, it goes down to once a month. When you've got teenagers, you're lucky with once a year. It was very interesting in the times recently they had how to live longer. Research on how men and women can live longer. Why we're living longer and how, what are the ten most important ingredients. One of them was having sex twice a week. Prolongs life into your 80s. 
I said to Heather, I want to live till I'm a hundred. So what does that mean? Carry on in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 7. Paul says this, I wish that all men were as I am. That is single, he's referring to. But each man has his own gift from God. One has his gift, another has that. Singleness in the pattern of this world means this. Singleness means either freedom to go off and enjoy yourself and sow your wild oats, or it can mean, and often does mean, singleness means you're a square You're an oddball, you don't fit, you're ugly, you're on the scrap heap. My problem with that, because this can affect the church as well, my problem with that is if it's you're ugly and you're on the scrap heap, how come in my church so many ugly men are married? (laughs) I said this to them last week. And how many beautiful women are single? What's wrong with my church? You guys, you should have gone to Specsavers. That's why I keep saying to them. But the truth is, singleness is here in the Word of God as a wonderful calling, a vocation from God. Equal to, if not better than, some would argue, to being married. Marriage gets lots of concerns, lots of responsibilities. Single people, it's a wonderful opportunity and a calling to serve God in a way that married people may not be able to. It gives you mobility. I want to honour everybody who's single in this church because I tell you this, single people are often the workforce of the local church. They are the glue that binds the local church together. They do all that hidden work, all the serving, all the cleaning, all the stuff no one else wants to do. I tell you, I honour single people. We want hundreds of them in our churches. And we want many of them to realise they don't have to be married to be fulfilled. I've seen too many Christians just grab at anybody in order to be married and make a misery of their life. We need to honour singles in our churches. We haven't got time to look at wives, submit to husbands, and husbands to love your wives as Christ loved the church. I mean, let's be honest, men. That is a scripture which just does you in, doesn't it? <laughs> love your wives as Christ loved the church. He died for his, for his church. So we, men, need to die in order to love our wives. And bring our wives into the beauty that God wonderfully bought for them. Children, Ephesians 6 verse 1, Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. End of story. Don't need to make any more comments. Don't argue about it. Don't tell me what you're right. I'll respect them if they respect me. No, honour them. It's in the word of God. In Matthew 28, verse 18, Jesus said, Go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Winchester Family Church, this is your commission in God. You know, I was very stirred by the prophetic, Neil particular saying, you know, in terms of standing out, something different. I believe God just want to underline that to you this morning. It's time 
to speak something different from the world. It's time to live something different from the way and the pattern the world lives. It's time to show yourselves to be different. You aren't the same as the world. This world is not your home. We are passing through as aliens and foreigners. We can wear their clothes. We can speak their language, but we do not belong. We are a chosen people. We are a royal priesthood. We are the people who belong to God. And God is speaking in this room this morning, in this house this morning, and saying, come out from among the people of the world. Come out from the sin of this world and be prepared to stand out for Jesus. God is shaking our nation. And what our nation most needs to see is the people of God for truly who they are. And they need to hear the church preaching the gospel as it truly needs to be preached. People are turning to Jesus in our nation at a moment like this. I'm speaking to my florist who works in uh, Boscombe. She is a rough diamond. She comes from London. Hello, darling. She gives me a kiss every time I see her in the middle of Boston. I've invited her to everything over the years. To Easter, to Christmas, to you name it, Alphas. Oh, I'd love to come. Yeah, put my name down. I'll be there next week. Yeah, love it. I'll bring some friends. Oh, great. Never seen her. Never, ever seen her. I'm walking back from preaching about four weeks ago. Walking back and at the back of the church... This girl's there. I'm going, what? Elaine? What are you doing in church? She said, I told you I'd come. Told me, you called me three, four years ago you'd come. Her circumstances. God is shaking the nation. Things are happening. She's responding to the gospel. She's responding and making her way into the church. She's been regularly ever since. She's responded and, 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 and says she wants Jesus to be her Lord. I tell you, God is shaking our nation. There are people out there longing, longing to hear you tell them the good news about Jesus Christ. But the church is in retreat. The church is hidden away. The church is so uh, idolised, the family, it's become an idol. You run back to your home, you, you up your drawbridge, you build big fences around your home and we're all safe. We weren't called to be safe. We were called to lose our life in order to find it. So my challenge to you is to be something different this morning. And if you want to step out from the crowd, why don't you even do it right now? As we finish. You're saying, God, I want to make myself available. I want to stand out from the peer pressure of just copying everybody else. I want to stand out for Jesus. Make a stand. God's speaking to you. Because this is, this is how you're going to fill the church, by the way. <laughs> they aren't going to come just by you living in the four walls. Believe me, you've got to get out there and you've got to start speaking to people, telling them the good news, that Jesus is alive. If you feel God, you know, there, was a, there was a word, wasn't there, crossroads. You're standing at the crossroads. Jeremiah, he stood at the crossroads and he was told to ask for the ancient past. You were saved to be fruitful for God. You were saved to be the royal people of God. You haven't got to apologise for owning up to the name of Jesus. He's the answer that everyone's looking for. And God saves, not you. 
And there are people out there longing to hear you tell them about Jesus Christ. So if you're feeling, I've been camouflaged, I'm wearing Christian camouflage, I want to come out and be Christ's ambassador, I want to be bold for God, why don't you, as we just finish with the worship song, come down the front here, and I'll, I brought a very good friend of mine, Aidy Bonner, who I had the privilege of leading to Christ many, many years ago on a, on a youth camp up in Yorkshire, surprised me and could have knocked me over with a feather when he said he wanted to become a Christian. I realised God does the saving, not men. And he's very kindly brought me up here today to serve you. And him and I will happily pray for you. I'm sure there will be other ministry teams, people who will come and pray for you. But let's just stand in the presence of God. Worship team, if you want to come back up. John, if you want to just sing one song. Let's just raise our hands before the King. Lord Jesus, we, we sense you in this room this morning. We sense your passion for your church. You love your church. And it's your church, Lord Jesus. It doesn't belong to any man. And you said you'll build your church. And you said the gates of hell will not overcome the people of God, the church of Jesus Christ. Thank you, it's an ever-increasing kingdom. Thank you, you want us to pervade our society and transform our world. And I pray something of your spirit would invade our hearts this morning and draw from us faith, Lord. Faith to come out from hiding away and into your light. Out of Christian camouflage, you're just playing church, playing Christianity, and out into a radical discipleship which wants to put Jesus as Lord, as first priority. Oh God, I pray, draw worship from the hearts of men and women, young people this morning. Draw obedience. Draw a desire to be biblically minded rather than world minded. And Lord, I pray that you would put such power on this church. That, Lord, it would grow in its influence, in its stretch, in its ability to transform Winchester and beyond. I pray, Lord, that your spirit would come on mums and dads, grandparents, young people today and grant them an ambassadorial-like faith that we are a chosen people. We are the people of God. No one can withstand us. No one can withstand your purposes being outworked in our lives. Spirit of God, would you come on us this morning and draw from our heart obedience, obedience to the Word of God. In Jesus' name, Amen. Now, if you need to respond as we sing this song, come straight away. Come right down the front here.